0: Welcome to the People of Packaging Podcast, hosted by the Packaging Pastor, Adam Peak, and brought to you by Specright. Specright wants you to envision a world without waste. Go to specright.com backslash PKG to learn more. Yo, what's going on, everybody? How do you like the new intro? My son actually... We did the music, we got the organ going because of the whole pastor church thing. I was super stoked on it. So here we are on the People of Packaging podcast. I am your host with the Holy Ghost the Packaging Pastor, Adam Peek. And today we have Nicholas Hernandez, who is the Chief Growth Officer at Besame Cosmetics. You have to check out Besame, which is spelled B-E-S-A-M-E, Cosmetics. If you are a packaging nerd like me, go to their website and see how they nerd out about packaging, how they love packaging so much. It is a massive part of their brand. And Nicholas breaks it all down, how this family business uses packaging to deliver an experience to their customers. You don't want to miss this episode. Hey, everybody. I am joined here today coming to us from a superman style phone booth in uh you're in southern california is that right
1: yeah we're in pasadena
0: pasadena home of the rose bowl i'm joined by nicholas hernandez nicholas is the chief growth officer at besame cosmetics and i love the more i've gotten to know about not just nicholas but also besame uh i i love their mission i love what they're about and i think you're you're going to really enjoy their story and and how it is that they go about using packaging i think is going to be really interesting it's a topic we actually haven't ever covered on this podcast we're over 150 episodes in so it's always fun when we get a first so nicholas thank you so much for coming on the podcast
1: thank you for having me i I love packaging, and I do not get to talk about it enough with other people that appreciate packaging. So I, I am happy for this forum to well, discuss. Well, listen,
0: anybody who is tuning in to a podcast about <laughs> packaging on a regular basis loves packaging, or it's my mother. That's, I guess, my dad. Shout out to Ed Peek. Uh, my dad also listens <gasps> to the podcast every once in a while. So, uh, And you know what? They, they love me, and so they love packaging as well. Uh, but really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, you live in California. Sure. Uh, you're the chief yeah. officer at Besame Cosmetics and other things.
1: Sure. So, yeah, uh, born and raised in Southern California. I was born in the Kaiser in Woodland Hills, California, and lived in the Glendale, Pasadena area my entire life. And um, started out actually in the entertainment industry So I got a job at a low budget, uh, production company, two weeks out of high school. That was like, I just dove in. I was like, I want to be in Hollywood. I want to write. I want to tell stories. I want to be part of this story kind of forward atmosphere that I am, that I've been around since I was born. So... It was a really, really cheesy, low-budget company that would shoot stuff domestically with one B-list celebrity as their headliner, and then sell it internationally. That was their whole model. <laughs> so, so um, after, who is the most
0: recognized do... B-list celebrity that you worked oh, with?
1: Um, so, first project: um, uh, Spencer Breslin, Abigail Breslin's older brother, who was in the Santa Claus movies as the elf. Okay, does that okay. ring a no. bell? Now I got it, yeah, he was, yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, he was the name, um, yeah, I think that was the biggest one. There was another one, and i, I I'm blanking on his name right now, so I guess that kind of proves the point that it yeah, exactly. wasn't uh. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it wasn't that big of a name, but, um, but yeah, that was the biggest, you know, kind of, so that, that level of, of, I guess, of celebrity. Um, but anyways, it was a great learning experience. It was a great kind of trial by fire because not only is production hard, but low budget production is even more of just a mess, you know? So it's like, if you either, you either figure it out and you make it out the other side, or you realize that it's not really for you. Um, from there, I did some reality TV. I uh, worked on Top Chef and other kinds of uh, very grueling type shows like that, uh, and then I started working on sitcoms. Um, and then, right about the time that I was getting married, I was like, "Hey, I can't, I can't be doing eighty-hour weeks anymore. I'm, I'm never at home. Like, I'm married and I never ever see my wife. Mm. So, my family's company, Bessemer, at the time." was at a point where they were looking, they were growing and they were looking for somebody to essentially do the coordinating that I was doing on shows for their, for their in-house content. So it was kind of like a perfect time um, to transition over to something a little bit more steady. And that's where I really started with Basme was in production coordinating, uh, just like I was on TV. And from there, it was, hey, you're doing good at production coordinating. Can you do production coordinating, but for stuff, which was essentially just kind of operations. It was the same rough idea. And from a say yes and figure it out attitude from production, I was like, of course I can do that. And then I figured it out and, and then boom, became uh, like a production manager. uh, And then really ended up building out our supply chain, all of our sourcing, um, Everything that that really adds value to the product, um, in its in its like in its value chain was I just you know, there was nobody to say no. We were a team of like five people, so it was like if you have the bandwidth to figure it out and add it to the company, do it. So I took that opportunity and I just took any meetings with any vendors, tried to negotiate terms for practice negotiating terms, read contracts to figure out how to read contracts, and just grew professionally as the company was growing and and was able to add more value to the company Um, and then eventually moved up to chief operations and built out a team below me to handle all of the you know the pieces of operations and slowly growth started to come on my plate too I guess because of my background in production I'm a good people person I'm I'm a bridge builder that's really what I love doing at the end of the day is like working with people, finding ways to do business, to build partnerships. And that was starting to lead our growth in what we were doing. And from that same mindset of like, where can I add the most value? It's like, okay, let the team that's doing operations run that. I'm going to run growth um, because that's where I'm bringing in the most value. So I still help out operations. If something becomes a fire, I can jump in and really talk to the vendor because I have built those relationships. But now I'm kind of forging uh, all of our future license projects, um, helping pitch it, pitch that story, what we do, what we could do with other IP, with our own kind of internal concepts. It's really just all kind of stemming from this idea of storytelling, taking different shapes and forms, um, really in a weird way, going back to that idea that I want to be part of a storytelling kind of um, profession.
0: Right. Right. And, and certainly the, the little bit that I know about best cosmetics, they have, they have really done a great job at leveraging this idea of storytelling. Is that something that, and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is your, your parents uh, started cosmetics. So when you are growing up, did were you was storytelling a big part of your childhood in terms of whether it's movies or oh, stories or
1: big time, big time? Yeah. So before Bessemer, my parents had a uh, like a, a commercial design agency. So I would back to packaging. I've been around packaging swatch books, stock samples, all of that since I was little. And then before that, my mom was a uh, creative director at Mm -hmm. K-Swiss and my dad worked at feature animation at Disney in the color color models department. So some kind of creative um, artistic production type uh, space. I've been around uh, since I was born.
0: Got it. Got it. And that may, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? That when, when we like my wife and I, with our kids, we really try to uh, embrace like we try to embrace boredom as something to be celebrated oh, yeah. because boredom is a, a, the starting point or the Genesis of creativity oftentimes. And so, you know, we, we really encourage our kids to write their own stories, to read a lot of classic stories and uh, and, and watch, you know, really well created movies and read a ton of books, whether it's Harry Potter and uh, you know, some of the magic of that world. I don't know. I just, To me, I find it really fascinating. It's cool that you, it sounds like you had a similar kind of upbringing where you're just surrounded by a a creativity and kind of a a culture of creativity. I,
1: if I wasn't at school, I was, we had, our house had like a, what was kind of like horse stables from the 20s that they converted into their first studio. Mm. So I was like my playground, my playset was outside and then the production studio was inside. And if I wanted to, I could, mess around on photoshop if i wanted we had extra Wacom tablets and this is like in the early 90s when this stuff was not very much available to the average household like it is now with ipads so to be able to say i want to express myself in this way or i want to doodle in photoshop here's an extra computer with photoshop just ready to go on it um it was yeah it was it was great to have that that experience to be able to wander around that and let my boredom be around things that inspire me messing around with stock samples and even having that from a young age to say like oh this is what this feels like or this stock is like that and being exposed to that because a lot of times when you're exposed to packaging um not from an early age you're already at the consumer level Mm -hmm. and you're not grabbing like two different skincare bottles or something in the packaging and really kind of like looking at them and comparing them. You're not really doing that kind of analysis in that moment. Um, but as a kid, I'm seeing 150 types of paper. You just start, I guess, knowing that there's more out there from an early age. Um, I was very fortunate to have that to explore.
0: That's great. And, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting to, I'm, I'm sure not without its own set of unique challenges, but to be able to keep working within that family environment it sounds like has has continued to be a a culture of kind of creativity and storytelling so let's pivot into besame cosmetics because yeah, when i'm, when I'm looking online i think like man this company is at the right juncture in time you know like kind of this nostalgic like i think about like stranger things is just blowing up on mm-hmm. netflix with kind of like the 80s retro feel and uh you know when, when i look at a lot of the brands and kind of like the classic colors and the things that that you're creating and doing um it really ties into that storytelling and even some of the um the limited edition runs that you've done um was that how like is that how the company started was to to do that or has it kind of evolved Mm, into that
1: space it evolved into that space it i mean it started we started in 2004 when vintage was not really or that kind of nostalgic um appreciation was not what it is now internet was still like in its very early days e-com and having that robust type of customer relationship digitally didn't really exist so this really started as a spur project from the creative agency uh, that my parents had as almost like a thought experiment um, because my mom was remembering her time growing up in Argentina. And if you can imagine that, you know, everything outside of the U S at that time was about 10 to 15 years behind where the U S was at. So like the sixties in Argentina was really like the fifties, sorry, the sixties here, Uh, was really still like the 50s there because of the culture that was really starting and disseminating from the US took some time to get to the rest of the world. So she, even though she didn't grow up in the 50s, she almost did in a weird way because of her location on this planet. Um, And remember that kind of glamour and that kind of intentionality behind the products And wanted to, it wanted to set out to recreate that. So it started as this little side thing. If I were to do a modern version of the type of stuff that my grandma wore in Argentina, what would that look like? And then from there, um, it kept itching at them. And I think they, they found like a supplier that would do a short run of primary packaging of these like little lipstick bullets. And they just put it online, you know, uh, either if it, I don't know if it was Shopify at the time or what was available, but an early version of e com and organically people found it. And up until very recently, that's still how we operate with organic people finding us, first wave adopters being our brand advocates and telling everybody they know about us. Um, we really have not gotten to the point yet where we're pushing our message out to a mass because really still the people that are good, good at making and and working on getting good at the selling, you know, putting our heart in that story and all the intentionality behind the product and then just letting the product speak for itself, uh, yeah. which is not nothing. Obviously, it's not scalable after a certain point, but I think it's a good proof of concept that if you really do hit the right audience at the right time with a product that really speaks to them. It just has its own kind of gravity.
0: Right, right. And, and you, had, you had mentioned something before we got on the interview that you like to start the story of the product with the packaging um, and, and bring the packaging to the forefront, which is abnormal. And a lot of packaging engineers and creative designers for packaging will tell you it's, that's the exception. That's not the rule. Oftentimes a brand starts their story with some other form factor. And then it's like, finally it trickles down and they're like, oh, can you just put this on the box? Can you just put this on the label? Like, how can you make this kind of feel like this? And you kind of, you sort of flip it around. You're like, let's start telling the story with the packaging. Um, And I'm guessing a lot of that came from the background of the creative agency and having, having an interaction with packaging. But Practically, what does that look like for you at at Besame to start? Yeah, that story with the packaging.
1: So, I I think it comes from just a a way that, a methodology that we like to approach any new program that we do. We like to internally think of ourselves as a design house that makes product, mm. not necessarily a company that makes a product and then there is design put on top of it. Um, we start with the story, like the story of the like the program, not even the product itself. A great example, perfect example is the license collection we did with Agent Carter. Um, the show had been off the air for a couple of years at that time, but it had a huge fan base. So we thought, okay, we have this opportunity. We have this fan base. They want a certain kind of story. How do we tell the best story possible for the customer? And then we thought, okay, it's going to be, Uh, well, you are Agent Carter. These people that dress up, these people that are the fans, they want to be her. So you're not buying Agent Carter product. You are Agent Carter. Well, if you're Agent Carter, who's giving you product? Well, probably Howard Stark would be giving you product um, from Stark Industries at the time. So like that kind of thought process where we're thinking, what's the best possible story that we can tell? And then how do we tell that through the, the medium of our our product, but because we're just telling that story through the product, the packaging is part of the story. It would, it would be, it would be almost a mistake. It would be a hiccup. It would be a misstep to skip the packaging and say, well, the story stopped for a second and then it picked back up when you open the box. Um the Agent Carter one had this like blind buy when it first launched, where the packaging looked like this old hand wrapped with twine um box that jarvis had sent to agent carter and then to avoid being uh picked up uh by the wrong people had stamps from all around the world because jarvis sent it like everywhere like pinging a signal so you don't know where it came from um and all of that was on the packaging because this idea that how had that howard stark sent you something you had to keep it safe all of that was being told from the moment you got it before you even got to what was in it. Um, and- I love
0: it. And, and you can see, by the way, uh, if for those of you who are who are like, whoa, this sounds awesome. And you're kind of a visual person. Um, I'll, I'll put a link up, but you can go on to their website on the cosmetics.com website and click on, uh, I think it's collaborations. Yeah, and, and you can see all the images. It's, it's intricately just amazingly well done execution on, on this one. I'm kind of following, all, following along as you're telling the story, I'm following yeah. along here on the website. I'm like, I see all of this now. It's beautiful.
1: So that was a, a great one where we were able to tell that through line. Marvel was very flexible with us and we were end up, ended up making something that resonated so well with that customer base because they just wanted to be told a story and participate in it. Um product was a component of that story, but it was not the whole thing. So the packaging didn't need to say, like, this is gonna sit at a Walmart and somebody walking by needs to know the claim, needs to have needs to say vitamin C because they're buying it. Like it didn't need to do all those things. It needed to tell a very compelling story that we were telling much, much bigger than just the product. The product just needed to kind of be slotted in. Um, that's really how we approach the packaging and the primary packaging and the product itself and why I think our approach ends up looking a little different and being a little bit, I don't want to say harder to replicate, but because we're coming from a creative background, you know, Mac can outspend us L'Oreal LVMH companies um, can outspend us, but I don't think anybody can out creative us. Mm. Uh, (laughs) It's probably a better way to say that, but you get what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, totally. And, you know, on uh, when I think you and I first talked, I was like, hey, there's a picture of someone at a press check, like proudly (laughs) displayed on your I Love Lucy collection. you're like, yeah, that's my mom. Uh, And she is she's looking over a press sheet at the vendor on foil board. And it's like, look at how much we value your experience. Our founder goes to these to, to these press checks to get involved and to make sure everything is just right. Um, I I, oh, yeah. I, I, love that that was like a prominent picture on your, on your website, right? Like here it is. It's, it's yeah. A, a it's press sheet that, we're there. like
1: that, that, that amount of like, I don't know. I feel like it's like really giving a damn about what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, is not common in, a lot of industries at scale you know you get that with the founders level very small mom and pop and then generally there's like a dilution to in the name of scaling and you know that's part of the reason probably why we aren't at the scale that you know we quote unquote could be but it's why we've been able to keep the 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 core of what it is that we do um so true You know, we could be taking outside money and doing 10 times the collection, and then everything maybe would get like 5% worse, you know, because we just don't have the time kind of thing, but we put more out there. But we only do, you know, one or two licensed collections a year because their development cycle takes forever. Because we go into the archives, like with the Maryland one, you know, we were going to auctions, we were buying things that she owned because very similar to Agent Carter, if you're a fan of Maryland, you idolize how she put herself together, the glamour she embodied. You do not want something that has her face stuck on it because that's not that doesn't really invoke her like uh, her sense of grandeur and her kind of glamour. Her, she would not buy something that had somebody's face on it. So why are you buying it? Mm. So we wanted to recreate items that she had on her vanity. So we bought them at auction and then we remanufactured them. So when you were buying this valet case, we called it, it's something that she would have purchased herself. So it's like you were Marilyn's friend buying the same things she is because you both have the same sensibility because that's really what the fans want. They want to connect with yeah. that story. They don't want a shirt that has her face on. It. Maybe some people do, but right. it, there, there's more to be had there when it comes to telling the story of that character through consumer goods and we try to do it, you know, not the easy way, but the right way.
0: I love that. I, I, I'm glad, I'm glad that I'm hearing this for the first time right now in this interview because you get like my raw reaction. Cause I didn't know that that's like part of your process. Oh yeah. I, I cannot get enough. Like I love, one of the things I love about this podcast is when my brain hears something that it's never heard before and went and it goes, that, is genius right like to put yourself into the shoes of like not just we want fans of agent carter or i love lucy or marilyn monroe to buy branded products and we're going to license the brand and we're just going to slap their brand on it make a good product and away we go yeah you could probably sell stuff um but to give them that that experience of like you are agent carter you are marilyn monroe or you are her friend like you're entering into that world and it's so time consuming and i'm sure just like gloriously painstakingly difficult to, to, to jump into that and that's why that's why you i i would i would guess you also have a dedicated group of just organically derived people who are like whatever Besame does, we know they're going to put their heart and soul into, and and we want to we you probably have a lot of really really like enriched like fans of of your product. We do,
1: we do. Once people see what we're doing and, and kind of click into it, our fan base is very very devoted, and they will become kind of evangelists and tell other people about what we're doing. That's been our biggest kind of issue or barrier is that everything I'm telling you right now is super hard to put on a billboard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, like uh, somebody from Kansas visiting LA is driving down sunset Boulevard and they see a billboard and you have one sentence, uh, for a company they've never heard of of all this value. And that's, you know, I guess that's, a, that's a nice problem. We're working on it. We're, we're, we're getting there. Um, I think we're getting better at it, but, um, it's tough because we don't want to do less to be able to fit it more neatly in a box. Um, And you know what, at the end of the day, it it just means that we're not going to be fitting into a lot of boxes, but I think that's okay. Yeah. Um, And I think econ being the way it is, is amazing. Because if this was a conversation 20 years ago, it's like, okay, but you know, Sephora is not going to carry you if you don't do X, Y, Z. So it's like, do you do your thing, but you stay super niche or do you dilute it because that's when they're going to buy 100,000 units and then get you nationwide and like, that's the next level. You know, there's a third option now, which is being e-com and meeting the customers where they are and being able to do whatever you want to do because there is an audience there that will show up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm sure that, you know, in your, in your role as chief growth officer, you're looking at all sorts of different ways and, and methods to go to market. And and I trust that with just the, you know, kind of the, the culture and the background and everything that you have, you and your family have built up, I, I believe that you are going to figure it out and succeed. So tell people who are listening to this and they're like, I can't wait to check out either their next release, uh, where their products are online. Like, how do people... Get get in touch with you. Get in touch with Bessemer yeah. Cosmetics and tell us uh, about what you got going on.
1: I mean we're we're on social everywhere at Bessemer Cosmetics. So feel free to um, follow us on any 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 social platform. We are there at Bessemer Cosmetics. Um, our next big licensed uh, launch is going to be in the fall. Um, it's going to be Disney, and that's really all I can say about it. All so. Right. I'll let people put two and two together in the fall with Disney. Um, But uh, that'll be releasing at a in-person event. Um, You know, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not really saying anything. It's going to be a D23 Expo in September. Um, Dates have been announced for that already, but we'll have something new there that will be debuting. Um, A lot of fun. If people... I mean, I'm on LinkedIn if anybody wants to chat about packaging with me, uh, Nicholas F. Hernandez. Uh, I am on, uh, what else am I on? Jeez, I'm such a, I feel like an old man. Um, on Instagram, I am at uh, Everybody Goes to Rick's. Okay. And uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm on TikTok uh, as, I think my name or, I think my name. Uh, cool. But yeah, but yeah, and feel free to find I, out. Yep.
0: People find out about the expo can for whatever that next release is that something they can only get in person, like they have to
1: attend? Uh, I, you know, I'm not at liberty to discuss what the go to market strategy on that's oh, going to be. Yeah, sense. Um, but how, will, how would they learn how, whenever it gets announced? How would they learn about oh, it? Oh, yeah, so on if, social media? if they want if they want to sign up, uh, just for our email list from our okay. website, from cosmetics.com, that's a great place to do it. Uh, if you follow us on any social accounts, we will make an announcement on social accounts Perfect. as well. Um, it's a big company push. So they'll, any anywhere that they we touch with customers, any touch point, um, they'll see it.
0: Awesome. Well, make sure everyone you follow Best to make Cosmetics. I'll have all the links in the show notes. Uh, you yeah. can click on those and and it'll open up the apps and do all the things and hit the follow <laughs> and all, all that stuff. Uh, Nicholas, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'm excited to be just the smallest part of, of your story and the story of Best Made Cosmetics. Hopefully, we get some really cool and fun and exciting packaging people who follow and connect up with you. And yeah, uh, best of luck to uh, to you and everything that's that's going. And hopefully, we have we have other reasons to connect up and do more. I would uh,
1: I would love to. I I didn't even get into all of my packaging horror stories. Uh, that have to do with collection launches, which is like its own thing. Um, I had one up my sleeve that I didn't even get to talk about, about having to ship stuff cross-border twice before a trade show um, because the packaging had to get reworked twice. That's uh, brutal.
0: You know what I is- need to start is, because uh, I have so much time, uh, or if somebody <laughs> else wants to start this, we need like a true true packaging crime drama podcast <laughs> where people come on and it's just like, It was a cold night three weeks before launch. The packaging shows up. I don't think
1: people realize how often, you know that like in that movie where like everything's happening and it's a crazy whirlwind and then something gets delivered and then it it was like, oh, right on time. And then the other party has no idea. It was just there. I don't think people realize that that is happening more times than not when it comes to these things. Um, I mean, really quick, D23 Expo twenty. 18, I think it was when we did our snow white collection, we were a very small company was our first license. I had these, these shadow palettes that looked like a book. So you'd open up the book that was all packaging and it was the shadow palette that that was basically, it was a real book. Um, They had sized the pans without filling them. And when you press shadow, it expands about a millimeter or so. So the books arrived, we're going to get filled and none of the pans fit. So all, so, like 10,000 books had to then get trucked back to Mexico to the factory. The interior ripped out a new interior glued in and then shipped back to us. They get black to the filler. They go to put in the pans and they didn't organize the dye correctly. So the pans are all mismatched and it doesn't make perfect rows. So it goes back down to Mexico, gets ripped out a second time, a new one put in then filled. And then we're loading it in our cars as it comes off the line from the filler, because the trade show is the next day. So there's no time to even palletize it. And then we literally get it out of our car, walk it in past the Freeman reps. Like, no, this isn't anything we're bringing in for the show. Don't worry about it. <sighs> um, and then put it on the shelf. <laughs> and then mind you online, we're just selling an image of it because we, there's no even stock at the fulfillment center that's happening after the show. Yeah. And, that you know what i like that's more times than not that's how that's how it's going i know around.
0: i know yeah i was like yeah i've been there not the exact
1: yeah. thing but i've been there
0: plenty of times um I oh, totally, man. oh gosh i'm sure that would actually be a fun <laughs> maybe i'll do like a series i'll tease it with like a people of packaging series that's like true crimes of packaging or horse go to market <laughs> go to market <laughs> I love it. Nicholas, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, everyone follow, follow Nicholas, follow Best to Make Cosmetics. And if you don't mind, uh, go ahead and do some kind of rating and reviewing of this podcast. It always helps out. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Hey, congratulations. You made it to the end of the People of Packaging podcast interview. If you want more packaging content, I want to encourage you to go follow my friend Corey Connors' The Sustainable Packaging Podcast with Corey Connors is great, along with Avelio Matos. He has Package Design Unboxed, and you can listen to them wherever you find podcasts. Remember,
1: packaging is awesome.